I, I do a little test call to Skype to make sure all of my equipment is working correctly. And then, uh, and I always just sort of say, you know, like, check, test, test, check. But today I came up with a new, a new little uh, test, test tune to sing. You want to hear it? I do. <clears throat> test, 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 testosterone. Test the testosterone. <laughs> testosterone. Drone. Mm-hmm. I like so, it. So I didn't mind the delay at all. I was just singing to myself. I was singing to my computer. I think. Uh, I think you should tell ASCAP. <laughs> your money. I'm a member of ASCAP, and I, I, I don't get money very often. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, now with this new song, yeah, sure. Anytime anybody tests, I'll assert my manly rights to their yeah. uh, to their uh, to their intellectual property. They'll respect I, that. I actually respect. got a thousand dollars for um, music publishing one time. Yeah, and I still don't understand it. It was like someone put a song of mine on a like on a radio show in Sweden or something. Yeah. And somehow this resulted in exactly $500 to my performer, you know, my recording artist account. You could, the, our listeners can't see the finger quotes because I do not consider right. myself such a thing. Um, and half to the publishing to the publisher, part yeah. of half of me. And uh, I thought, is this going to be a thing now? No. Just you can make money with, music out there and it turns out it was an insane fluke that was the name of the swedish dj insane fluke <laughs> yeah i would listen i'd dance to him or her department of homeboy security <laughs> oh no what's that <laughs> that is, yeah, Department of Homeboy Security. Yeah, is a uh, the name of a um, recording artist <laughs> that uh, my friend Leslie Pearson. I think you might have met Leslie, Leslie, and I think maybe with or without help from her husband Mark, just made a bunch of just kind of silly remixes of uh, Bush era gobbledygook yeah and uh with a little beat behind it oh, and it put is. it up on put it up on the internet machine and she gets a check once in a while yeah without ever uh, um um planning it or really knowing what she was doing <laughs> i'm looking at the i'm looking at the titles uh interlude food on your family yeah. interlude yeah. unknown unknowns yeah very good yeah. I'll put that in the notes. That's 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 good to know. Good to know mm-hmm. about. Department yeah, I put, of Homeboy Security. I put out mm-hmm. that record of um one hundred songs, many of them little instrumentals, and I sent them to I sent copies of the C D with a little like here are the instrumentals note to every NPR show. Mm-hmm. And a few shows have actually u- used them. There's one episode of um This American Life that uses a song of mine called The Bomb in Buddha's Lap. <laughs> and then there's uh, 
There's a um, oh shit, what's the NPR sports show? Only a game. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who's the producer or the audio engineer of that show turns out to have been in fuck, what was the band? Dump Truck or something? It was a band. It was like an '80s band that I liked. <laughs> Yeah, dump truck. Yeah, not to be confused with dumpster funk. No, no, of course not. Um, And yeah, dump truck, grunt truck. No, well, grunt truck. That was also a band. There's also the strong possibility it was neither of those two bands, but um, it was a a band I knew, and we corresponded a bit. We we both had an appreciation for sort of obscure, like uh, unwieldy prosumer um, sort of analog gear from the 70s so we talked about that a mm-hmm. bit but he used the song i i had the song uh, called i had this song called uh a political song for barney to sing and mm-hmm. it has this oh you know what it is it's after the, the minute the minutemen song yeah after the song minutemen for song jackson to sing. and you know you've heard it a million times because i use it as the transition music in this podcast that do plink and uh, he used that for only a game. Well, I thought that was recorded from an actual circus. <laughs> the circus from in a, my mind. From a, a clown slipping on a banana. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very good. Well, you should do more. I'm tr- I tried to. I, I recorded a whole song. I'm really pleased with it. I, was, I started to write the lyrics, and then a good thing happened. Um, I had been working on this, uh, I can't remember, I guess I, I don't remember if I talked about this week. I'd been working on a novel and I got like a hundred pages in and it just, Mm -hmm. uh, I hated it. I went back Mm -hmm. to a previous one and just, uh, just really started cooking on it and I've continued to cook on it. So I haven't done anything, uh, You said you had the best day in, you've ever had in your writing life last week. Yeah. And now... I'm, I've extended this two-week period to be the the best two-week period of writing I've had in my entire the life. The best fortnight? Yeah. And then? <laughs> yeah, the best fortnight writing. Plus. Yeah. That's the name of the novel, by the way, Fortnite Plus. <laughs> that does sound like something I would uh, I would write. Anyway, so um, it's nice to be absorbed in a creative task so completely. I don't, I, I, again, I I can't tell if it's, any good uh or if other people will even know what i'm trying to do but um it's very coming very fast and it's very pleasurable so i haven't and also i've been very stressed out about various things including the uh including the um the fact that the entire united states government is getting its knickers in a twist about um kneeling football players while puerto rico is in ruins and we're on the brink of nuclear war with north korea and I don't understand this. I just don't. I don't get it. Um, yeah. Why? Do, why is the language? Why do they keep talking about gratitude? That they should. That these players should be grateful. To they shouldn't be kneeling. It's disrespectful. They should be grateful. For what? Who? Grateful for well, what? It's insane. It's insane. Racist rambling. It's a, like if a black person achieves anything, then yeah. these people think that it's, it's because exactly what it is. they let them do it? 
It is nothing except for that. <laughs> it's so crazy. It is nothing except for that. Yeah, the whole the whole talk at his his his, his thing, which was for an, what, him as a a Yankee imagining what Southerners want to hear, which is not what Southerners want to hear. Um, but that talk of owners, the owners need to keep their, <laughs> you know, their workers in line, mm-hmm. or you know, or beat them, or you know. Um, he thinks that's what Southerners want to hear is a lot of talk about owners, you know, being able to beat their slaves. It's language from the fugitive slave debate. Yeah. You know, it is. And it's, uh, it's, well, it's not working. No, no, it's It's not not working. You said, you, you said it's the entire U S government. It's one person. Well, and then Steve Mnookin, um, jumped into the fray this morning too, and he said he said some similar stuff about um, how you, you could they can they can have their free speech off the field. <laughs> he's a, he's <laughs> ridiculous. Off the. I want. I I, I want. Uh, when you're not picking really cotton, you can have your first. free speech. I really want his head first. Oh, there's so many be, heads to want, though. Yeah, but his will be um, only if, if we know that we get all of them. His first, because. Uh, it's among the most ridiculous. And he also made that Batman Lego movie, which I didn't like. I think, aside from his crimes against the the American people... Wait, uh, what is he... He's have- the producer of the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> really? Yeah, what's which your objection? It's treasonous. What's your objection to Lego Batman? I haven't seen it's, either of the Lego... I didn't see the Lego movie, and I haven't seen Lego Batman. It's terrible. But people seem to like the Lego movie. People are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll like anything. Okay, okay. That has lights. <laughs> I like lights. <laughs> I don't know. Um I'm I'm looking forward to the mass protests by some of the few people that the few Trump supporters look up to today. Yeah. Um, I saw that already, you know, the owners are taking the knee with the teams. Really? So. Good. You know, the fuck you is, is, is going to be firmly uh, enunciated today. Yeah, I should, I should hope so. So when do, when do games, does it, okay. I don't, I don't know anything about football. Do the, I know that Sunday is a, is a, is a game day. But Sunday is the day that the professional teams play. They all play. Every team plays every week. Every team plays every week. It's occasionally a buy. Um, uh, there are a couple of games during the week on a tele- big televised deal. Monday Night Football. That's still a thing. Uh, yeah, that's a big thing. Um, so what we're going to see, ideally, most of the games are on Sundays. Today's the day that today. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see shot after shot of players kneeling. If the white players don't kneel with the black players, I will be embarrassed for my country. Not that this would be. Oh, a, they'll be. Everyone will be kneeling. You think so? There'll be a couple of a couple of asshole standouts. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and uh, and yeah. But still. Um, so I think Trump will get some comeuppance on this, but it doesn't matter. Puerto Rico still gets no help, and we're going to perish in a nuclear firestorm. Yeah, yeah. No, it goes without saying that that's what we're going to do. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing to me, though, that Trump – I think Trump 
he doesn't you know he he had a little uptick in the polls this week um i mean it could be margin of error but i think it probably was he i think he became very slightly more popular because he was doing fewer things that were insane um and he's not doing he hasn't been doing insane things every day exactly it's been exactly. like every other day or like on a 36 hour cycle instead of 24 hour cycle so he gets he gets a little boost and it's almost as though he wants to be loved and he loves news stories that seem to indicate that he is loved and he loves poll results that suggest that he is loved so he gets just a little bit of positive feedback and immediately goes to war against football. It's yeah. almost like it's not enough for him to feel appreciated. He has to make sure that he's appreciated no matter what he does or says. He just has to keep being a dick so that heck he can keep being feeling aggrieved that people don't appreciate him enough. It sounds about right. Okay. It sounds about right. Yeah. I'm a professional prose dramatist, as you know. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the fact is, I think really no one likes him. You know, I think there are pe people who voted for him and who might vote for him again hate him. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know, uh, as we're, we're learning a lot, you know, these, these little... We, we hear that people like him. And they turn out to those turn out to be bots, yeah, or or <laughs> yeah. paid for, you know, yeah. So the silent, the overwhelming silence about the matter that I, I have heard my last two trips back to Kansas, uh, which infuriates me, yeah, partly because I want to yell at somebody, but they're not they're not the people to yell at because they don't. Some of them may have voted for him. Most of them did not vote for Hillary. They kind of threw their vote away on something else. Mm -hmm. um, they hate him. They hate him, too. Sure. You know, they're a little more responsible for him. We're all a little responsible for him. But it's not... Uh, um, they're They're going crazy, too. Everybody's going crazy about this. I feel like the, I feel like this weekend... This whole NFL thing combined with the devastation in Puerto Rico is it's it's a it's a every once in a while we get these moments where things have just gone who've ratcheted up another notch and mm -hmm. we're in a sort of new territory of absurdity. And I'm I he's he should he's not even pretending. Like he pretended to care about Texas. He's not pretending to care about Puerto Rico. At all, he hasn't. Does he? He hasn't issued a single tweet or statement, um, even offering sympathy to no. the to the people who Americans in Puerto Rico, exactly. <laughs> and uh, there's just nothing. There's nothing. And meanwhile, he is obsessed, obsessed with this football shit. Mm. It's just. It's it, like I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned. I mean, I shouldn't be. Um, it's a stunner. It's a stunner. It's a stunner. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't think we can. <laughs> I don't think we can 
get much further on this subject. Maybe we should move on. No, I mean, any any deference to the flag or the anthem or any of the symbols of America, pointing out that there's a bald eagle flying over the car, these are now racist acts. <laughs> Using money. Yeah. Well, that's been a racist an act, act for, of white supremacy. <laughs> for some time. It is. Yeah. Um, uh, if anyone goes along with with Trump. But I don't think people will. Yeah. I don't think people are going to follow him on this one. It's hard to imagine. Football! He's at war with football! football. <laughs> uh. And there hasn't been one tweet from him Expressing condolences about the death of John Ashbery. No. Well, there were th- there were three, but they were oblique. <laughs> and there well, were th- there's five that he hasn't sent. In the spirit of of yeah. John Ashbery's life and work, the, the tweets mm-hmm. about him were oblique. Yeah, yeah. Most of these actually, most of his tweets are about the death of John Ashbery. He's so <laughs> he's so bereft, imagining a world without John Ashbery. Um, that uh, that's what driven him into this football <laughs> rage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all feel that way about John Ashbery. We do. The end of an era. Yeah. Um, I read a, read a, we usually do books last, but I was excited. I've read four books in a row that I started, I finished. That never yeah. happens. I, I ex- like you, you, you open them, you start reading them, and you read them until there's no more words in the book. Exactly. I've read every it's word. It's run out of book. words. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Your puppy loves you. He's been, he's sick. Oh. Alas. He's still there? Yeah, I'm still here. You froze for a moment, but oh, the dog, oh, the dogs, the dog is throwing up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, is the is there no latch on the door? No. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, latchless. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I read this. Uh, read this book. It was recommended by um, somebody on Twitter. I think it was Justin Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, this 80s novel called Mrs. Caliban by Rachel Ingalls. Have you ever read this? No. It's a slim vol. Actually, it's I think it's part of the reason that I'm I picked up this this book I'm writing um with such excitement because it reminded me of the possibility of a short novel. Um mm-hmm. and I think this novel will be fairly short. Uh but it it's a single point of view, a woman in a failing marriage. Um, she's just trying to deal with her husband's obvious infidelity, which he's barely even trying to conceal. Um, and she goes and spends afternoons drinking with her, uh, with her dissolute divorced friend. And, uh, then, um, a mysterious frog man escapes from a scientific facility where he's being held and um she has sex with him and then hides him 
in her house. And uh, that turn, I guess I just kind of gave it away, but it happens pretty early in the book. Okay. Um, it's such, it's so unexpected and delightful and shocking. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, the, the, the book has lots of surprises in store towards the end. Um, all kinds of interesting little plot twists. It reads kind of like an Alison Lurie novel, actually. It feels mm-hmm. like it's a going to be a psychological realist, um, sort of satirical, semi-satirical comedy of manners, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the copy that is at Cornell's library um, was donated by oh, Alison. <laughs> you sent some, some pictures of the marginalia. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, this is the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the book that this is the book that the marginalia were so someone okay we should this is a subject we should talk about because I am shocked that not everyone agrees with me I detest marginalia in library books I mean I think they're you know when you use books they they're expected and I I I've yeah. written in my own books um, many times no yeah library books are li- common property yeah okay there you go so and I encountered I expressed this view on Twitter and a lot of my writer friends a surprising lot of them said that they actually like marginalia in library books. They enjoy, they enjoy the kind of communal experience of having, um, the, the evidence of other people having read and thought about the book. But it's like talking, it's like talking or checking your phone in the movie theater. Yeah. It's It's, exactly it. It it, it can be interesting. And, and maybe, maybe what somebody's saying in a movie theater is very interesting. (laughs) Maybe more interesting than the movie, but still, (laughs) you know, you, you, <laughs> it's hard to maintain focus. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that's what it comes down to is f- some people are better at, uh, at filtering out certain types of interference mm-hmm. um, than others. And I am very bad at filtering out interference of any kind. Um, like, for instance, music. I cannot, if music is playing anywhere with an earshot, I am, my thoughts are just shattered. I'm either Mm. listening to music or there can be no music, which is very inconvenient because American life is full of music. So, Mm. um, so, you know, out in the wild, if I want to say write in a coffee shop, I just have a, an app on my phone that pumps white noise into my ears and I don't hear the music and it's fine. But in this case, um, there's really no avoiding (laughs) <laughs> really no avoiding the marginalia, but they had been penciled in. So one evening I watched TV <laughs> with the book in my lap and I just meticulously went through there and erased mm-hmm. every single piece of marginalia from Cornell's copy of Mrs. Caliban by Rachel Ingalls. And only then did I take up the book and actually read it. <laughs> uh, and it was, it actually, Greatly enhanced my experience of reading it because I felt like I had to, I'd had to do this preparatory work in order to read it, and it felt yeah. like a it felt very personal, felt like a personal read on yeah. uh, Rachel Ingalls. But anyway, it reminds me a little bit of Allison's stuff, and lo and behold, she was the one who who donated it to the library. And there's a little plaque with you know a little sticker in the front that says mm-hmm. you know a gift from Allison Lurie. Um, but I'd never heard of this writer. I'd never heard of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and uh, it's it's melding of uh, um, melding of frames of reference. This this kind of you know satirical um, marriage novel, and then suddenly there's a 
there's a frogman from under the sea <laughs> in mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's totally delightful. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I'll yeah. read it. Yeah, but short novels, man. Short novels can be good, and I've never figured out how to write one. I've never gotten. Not that my novels are super long. I think Broken River might even be my shortest one. Mm-hmm. But um, that particular arc of like a 200-page novel, I've mm-hmm. never gotten the hang of it. But I think I'm doing it now. I wonder how many short novels set out to become short novels or how many of them are the result of just decisions and selections and editing. Yeah. I don't know. I I actually think I actually I may, I wrote a joke story once about someone who writes a thousand page novel and whittles it down to a haiku. Oh right, yeah, right. Yeah, but I don't I don't ends up as a haiku. Yeah, yeah ends up as a haiku. I don't I don't think it's. I'm kidding. I don't I don't think that's a real thing. Like I I feel like in the case of this book, it's um, a single point of view of a very limited period of time and uh, a, a carefully selected bunch of sort of dramatic mini arcs that combine into the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, it could not, it simply could not have been a 600 page novel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what 600 page novel could have been distilled down into this. You right. Know? right. I'm sure there are some types of short novel that might possibly have been a long novel. But I think most long novels that get severely edited get edited down into a slightly different long novel. Like mm-hmm. The Corrections. I know he wrote multiple versions of that over time, all of them quite long. And the mm-hmm. one that was published was shorter than the than some of the others. Still rather long. Still rather long, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Here's the what thing I kept is, I kept realizing as I was working though was that every sentence had things grouped into threes or three things grouped into twos. Like something, you know, something would be like a thing or another thing. You know, she did this and she did this. Syntactically? Yeah, syntactic syn- groups syn- of mm-hmm. syntactically. And so I did one of those like Dave Gilbert obsessive compulsive projects this morning where I was going over what I had spent the last two hours writing, trying to see evidence of this tick and like get it under control. Mm -hmm. Now I'm afraid that it's an okay tick. That's a tick of Delillo's. Oh yeah. Lillo's often, um, good old double Lillo. Little, little different. Um, uh, these descriptions are almost always, or, or consistently, um, it was like this, or this, or this, little triplets. You know, this thing, slightly more ridiculous thing, much more ridiculous thing. <laughs> One, two, three. So little, little, little triplets in his descriptions. Yeah. I, where does it stop? Where does it stop being a infectious motif and, and start being an irritating tick? Is the question that I can't answer for myself. Once you notice it, yeah, 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 it becomes that once you, once you notice it, once it's noticed. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I think it's, that's that's the poetic imagination at work. That that sort of composition has to do as much with your ear and and uh, some that sort of compositional 
beauty concern. It has to do or, with my gut, Ed. I write from my gut. I mean the gut. I don't do yeah. any of this Ivy Lake thinking. It comes from your gut bacteria. <laughs> Language is a virus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to choose my underwear, Mommy. So, uh, oh, what are you working on this week? Uh, well, I'll go back to, back to teaching this week, so I've been trying to put together what the hell I'm going to do this week. Teaching a class at the at the uh, Attic Institute, which is not not one of the colleges, uh, of writing to understand, not to explain. Mm-hmm. And every time I try to say the title, I try to remember what the terms were. Writing to do this instead of that. Writing to understand instead of explain. And I, uh, Oscar, Oscar said, "Well, that makes sense. It's you. You put your words up here." He kind of made a gesture in front of his face, <laughs> and you throw them over there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you put your words up here, and you throw them over there. <laughs> Sounds about it's as good as I can can get. So I've been let him, so let been him a, teach a, the a nice class kind of for week you. We're mostly yeah. just sorting through things, sorting through books, sorting through poems, trying to figure out what I want to have uh, um, at the front of my head to be discussing for a while and having some liberty to do so um, trying not to not to just say not to just uh, to, you know just kind of roll the, uh, the 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 lottery ball and pick out some different numbers you know have mm-hmm. some different different uh, canards to spread than the canards I've been spreading <laughs> My canard spreader. <laughs> Getting a new canister for my canard spreader. Yeah. I've been working on some short stories for some reason. Really? And, uh, you know, um, you uh, you talk the talk about about fiction, but uh, you don't uh, show it to me or anyone else. It would seem. Oh, I would if it was any good. Who who are you to judge? Who do you think you are? I'm a good judge. I'm a good judge <laughs> of literary quality, and and uh, I can look at like at my poems and say that that's all right. Yeah, yeah that that poem's okay. I have no problem saying that. Okay, that that that, that that's okay. But because I see poetry as not so much individual stuff, but um, but there's some sort of guidance and cooperation with language and some other. You know, daemon that uh, that I think when you write a good poem, it's not just because you did it; it's because the, the timing was right, and and you know the, uh, the things you've been, the things that are in your head are aligned to, to to write this thing. But it's not the same for me with with writing fiction. Fiction feels like okay, I'm on my own here. Yeah, I'm largely on my own, <clears throat> and so if it, it it stands or falls on on my own invention and uh, focus and and uh, rarely only written a couple of things that I think are, are worth sharing. Um, but I haven't published any fiction. Well, I published a bunch of short stories ten or fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. um, mostly by accident. And only one of those I think is any good. I looked at it recently and I, I saw that it 
wasn't that good. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say I'm sure I was sure you were gonna you were gonna retract that uh, self compliment. Was it um, yeah. was it the Kansas Nebraska act? I like that one. Oh no no no, it's not that one. And there's a story of yours I think called the Blood and Guts. Yeah. Someone, oh yeah. The um, a storm destroys a bar. A, I think it's kind of a Damon Runyon yeah. knockoff. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, the bar in a storm. Yeah, and then there's the story. My favorite you, story. You wrote a better bar in a storm story. Well, it was I. It was inspired by your bar in a storm yeah. story. Yeah. Um. Uh. Th- this my favorite story of yours was the one from the point of view of a child whose teacher, whose pregnant school teacher, sends him out on an errand to go get her a snack it's or something. Lunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he ends up falling it's a into diner. The, yeah. the diner next door. Yeah. And he ends up falling into the hands of some sinister characters. Some shrimp, some shrimp, people who are selling shrimp out of the back of their truck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're sinister or not, but he definitely gets into the back of the truck and. You never see him again. <laughs> no one ever sees him again. <laughs> yeah. They could, you know, maybe they just, maybe they just all got along real well and decided to <laughs> sell shrimp together indefinitely. Yeah. They're still doing it. To this day. <laughs> the, the, the child has a child of his own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bought shrimp out of the back of trucks a few times. And I, uh, and you know, cooked it up and it was good. But it always felt like I was taking a real chance. <laughs> yeah. Like, either this is, this, and the, the fact is, it's very fresh shrimp that people have just, have just got, you know, just right out of the shrimp boat. Yeah. And... Instead of going to the store or something, they drive into town and they sell it out of the truck, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're just sort of assuming that that's the case, and, and not just some shrimp that they found in a bag. Uh, yeah, well, if, you know, if there's if if there's no trust when it comes to seafood, you're never going to eat anything. There's a lot of trust involved in seafood. <laughs> yeah, a lot of misplaced trust. <laughs> but it tends to work out. It tends to work out. Seafarers are a trustworthy lot. They have nothing else, but uh, uh, aside from from the uh, 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 the briny sea, the briny sea and the trust of their of, of humankind, that's <laughs> all they have. <laughs> what did you did uh, you see? There was some uh, some. I uh, see now. I'm going to get this wrong. Some. Weather warning issued that was going around, going <laughs> yeah, around the internet. Yeah, Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you remember no, the phrase about riptides? Or yeah, something. riptides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cold, relentless sea. Yeah, like the cold, the cold, cold lonely, restless, sea. cold, restless sea. That was it. Yeah. You'll be pulled into the cold, restless sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Restless. It is. Yeah. It never stops, man. Never stops. Never has. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where do you stand on seafood? You got under the co- the beach, the coast beach. What do you call it? The Jersey Shore. At the sh- at, in New Jersey, we call it the shore. Yeah, the Jersey Coast Beach. No, going <laughs> down to the Jersey Coast Beach. <laughs> you guys going down to the Jersey Coast Beach this week? <laughs> oh, we it's a family tradition. We always take three hours to go out to the coast beach. <laughs> so yes, I do go there and uh, eating seafood there is a great pleasure. Um mm-hmm. maybe the greatest of going to the shore and the, and what there's do you, a, what what do you have from the sea? 
Uh, what does the sea give you at the coast beach? <laughs> uh, at the coast beach, the sea uh, gives me crustaceans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives me uh, uh, gives me gives me fish. Uh, gives me shrimp. Uh, what else do I eat down there? You could get a lobster if you wanted. I'm not inclined. I'm a little too disturbed by the. I've been David Foster Wallace on the subject of lobster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the, there's a, there's a place called, uh, there's a, uh, the stretch of Island where, uh, my family rents a place every summer. There's a, um, fish market called Cassidy's, um, mm-hmm. it's a cash only fish market. And it is literally right next to the boat. Like when the boat comes in, it's four feet away from the fish market and, who knows? Perhaps that fish is being put on a truck, driven to a processing plant, um, processed, mixed with fish from other coast beaches, mm-hmm. uh, returned to Cassidy's days later after being frozen and thawed four times. Yeah. But the implication, the strong implication is yeah. the that they're taking that it off the boat, it. they're walking yeah. next door and handing it over. Yeah. In any event, I find the fish there to be very delicious. And so on my, every, you know, my family alternates, everyone, everyone is, is assigned a day where they cook meal, the meal for everybody. So, um, you know, the, my cousin, my cousin and her husband do it one night, my other cousin and her husband do it another night. I and whomever I'm there with do it another night. You know, Mm -hmm. my brother does it. My mom does it. Um, and I always cook, fish i always cook seafood often often scallops i get i get to to uh i love scallops but boy it's hard to um hard to sear scallops for for 15 people um if you do not have a commercial kitchen and uh skill why because because just the timing of them you need to have them you don't want to sit too long yeah you gotta have (laughs) it only takes a second to you gotta have a really hot, a really hot pan. Um, mm-hmm. They gotta be kind of dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I don't. If I'm gonna make like ten scallops for me, I can do it pretty easily. But it seems like there's enough juice in a in fifteen people's worth of scallops. These are modestly that, sized scallops. Yeah, they're like these aren't these aren't big inch inch around. Scallops. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was thinking. I like. No, they have to get larger, larger scallops here at the oh, okay, yeah, western coast beach, yeah, on the western shore, on the western shore. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, I trust that seafood. I my trust may be misplaced, but uh, part of the pleasure of consuming it is um, believing that it came from the boat that is idling beside it. Beside, the, <laughs> have you ever tried baking scallops? Uh, yeah. Well, I've tried broiling them. I put them under the broiler. Broiling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you having uh, you having issues with your eyes right now? Uh, my eye was a little dry, and then I just tried to adjust my glasses and realized that I wasn't wearing them. <laughs> that's why I was. That's what this was. This was me reaching for my glasses and okay. feeling around for for them. <laughs> I didn't understand what that movement meant, but yeah, now, that was now me it makes sense. To, trying to move my glasses up, <laughs> and also trying to use my just like use my face muscles to move my glasses up yeah but there's no glasses so 
<laughs> looks like I'm being supercilious. <laughs> oh man! You can bake them with the, um, you can bake them with uh, like some breadcrumbs and some and oil and put them in a big pan. Sure. As you, as you might oysters. Well, that reminds me of something I, f- I think I forgot to ask you about last week. It was on my list, and then we, we got distracted. Um, and that is, when I when you and I had our wonderful lunch all those years ago at Commander's Palace in New Orleans, yeah. um, was that when Emeril was the head no, chef? No, no, Emeril. No, he had moved on. He had moved on? It was Jamie something. Yeah. Jamie, not James Beard, but Jamie, uh, 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 the guy who was the chef there after Emeril. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a chef there for about 10 years, and then he died of cancer in his 40s. Uh-huh. Wow, that's very sad. Yeah, and I, I don't know, I can't remember who, who, uh, who the chef de cuisine is there now. Well, let's but. see, it was Jamie Shannon. <laughs> Jamie Shannon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jamie Shannon. Um, yeah. Although it was it was an interesting it was a a a, a, a very comfortable uh, figure. Not as a, a uh, it was a you know you have that's a, that's a big position. That's essentially sure. the mayor of New Orleans. <laughs> sure it is. And, uh, and he was a, a yeah he seemed like a good guy. Kind of ran it with a. Kitchen with an even keel is like, yes, this is very good. This is the best restaurant in the world. But it's still just eating food and, you know, making it. And, yeah. and it's, not, uh, it's not it's not the result of magic. It's the result of, of uh, the work of a lot of, a lot of uh, hardworking people. Here's a key sentence from his New York Times um, obituary. Mr. Shannon, who started his career in a cafeteria near his hometown, Sea Isle City, on the Jersey Shore... Had a gift for making the richest Creole dishes seem refreshingly new American. That's fair, yeah. And his CIL City, CIL City, yeah, which is um, where my family used to go before we ended up at the place we are now. Mm-hmm. And it, it calls uh, this article calls his gumbo less a murky stew than an artful melange. Mm. Less a murky stew. Mm-hmm. I like a I like stew Merc. Sure. You remember the you remember the uh, crawfish etouffee at uh, Dinosaur uh, in the back of Charlie B's in Missoula. Mm. Damn, that's so good. So good. It's all. It's yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of salt. Yes, it is a lot of salt. But they would give you they would give you pre- plenty of uh, bland um, French bread to sop it up with. So yeah, I'd go over good. there. I'd go over there on my lunch breaks from the art museum and get a three bucks, big old, big old wrap styrofoam. Yeah. yeah, wrap up the bread in some foil. Yep, it's so salty. If only there was something to drink at Charlie B's to sort of mitigate the saltiness. <laughs> <laughs> you were oh. not intended to get that food to go. I'm sure the I'm sure the the people running the bar were like, "Look, we'll buy you the salt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just want you to put it in there." Yeah. Ah, yeah, uh, Charlie B's, yeah. Missoula. They they had a hard time this summer. Well, with three the, months of smoke, really. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Yeah, I think uh, people are saying it's just don't can't imagine can't imagine keeping on like this. There, 
three months of smoke and then nine months of cold. Yeah, and know? plus people are our friends are getting fired. And people are losing their jobs. Yeah. And the yeah, the university is 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 collapsing. I've been following it because they're they're searching for a new president because everybody who everybody who was in any leadership at that school has been fired over the last seven years. Yeah. Because they destroyed it. They ran it into the ground. They let their yeah. players rape people and then covered up for it and responded in other bad ways and bad accounting and you know. Um it's it's demise is entirely of its own making. So all the, the, the new presidential candidates are making their pitch. Not Robert Stubblefield's they're, they're, fucking fault. They're Sorry. saying, you know, that it's uh uh No, no, it's not the not the the making of our friends who are getting fired. It's no. the making of the people running the university. It's yeah. not external forces. Um you know, they're saying, Oh, this could be the flagship university of the West of the West and things like that. Like that's that's sort of grand talking is uh, they need to somebody who's who can say, I think I can keep the doors open for this place for another couple of years. That's what they need. <laughs> you know? They need somebody who has a plan to keep the doors open for another four or five years. Is that is it seriously that bad? Then they can start talking about you know being a the flagship institution. I think it is that bad. I mean, it's because, like other state, other states, uh, the legislature has largely withdrawn any support, you know, significant support of the schools, and they're now, you know, on a majority tuition model. Schools are being paid for by the tuition people are paying. Yeah, uh, you know, seventy, eighty percent. Which, if the tuition, if the enrollment drops, then the school has no money. Um, and if it's a private institution, you know, trying to make it, make it go away, well, that's that's the deal. But you know, these hundred-year-old institutions that have that exist because of public support just can't make that kind of a shift. Yeah. And uh, you know, after the the you know. Being, you know, listed and labeled fairly, probably as a rape capital. Sure. People stop sending their kids there. Sure. And so it has no money, and so then they have to cut other things that uh, um, that might attract students. And so what you have is is I think you have a spiral that you can't survive. Yeah. I think it's I think it's possible they close their doors at some point. And many other state colleges around the country, if on this tuition model will close it, which is what the capitalists, you know, who who people elected or who money elected says that's what they want to have happen. Yeah. I'm intensely curious what you're scribbling. I was uh I was just making drawing some boxes. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Were you was a part of your mind the words were spilling out of your mouth. They alarmed you. And you, they alarmed me because they because well because also I You wanted I, to contain them in boxes. I was containing them in boxes. Well, so I started uh, so Oscar my son started uh kindergarten yeah. this week. So now we're part of the system. <laughs> it has the other end of it, you know, as Foucault says, you know, the same 
the same the same mass institution gives you museums and prisons yep and kindergarten classes it's all one one thing mm-hmm. um and i'm just i'm shocked at how few resources they have public school yeah um uh compared to what they need and what tra- traditionally these things have been designed to have you know mm-hmm. and then realizing that this is exactly what this is by design is a, a star you know the star of the beast mentality of of the conservatives is to make these inst- is to weaken these institutions so that they collapse mm-hmm. and their fingerprints aren't on um, so there's uh, you know 200 kids a day going through going through, going for lunch uh, between 160 and 280 students going to the hot lunch line yeah um, and there's one person doing all the cooking and all the serving and all of the all of the uh, you know what making sure that they've got their little card numbers it's one person oh my god that's one guy that's yeah. harder joe. than scallops for 15 joe yeah now things are centralized so the food is mostly not being prepared there mm-hmm. uh, you know it's coming in by truck from the central point and the food is you know, despite the i know that <clears throat> the people the, the you know the 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 anti-Obama people have this fantasy that Michelle Obama transformed school lunches into something edible, uh, <laughs> uh, but judging from from this school, they're not. I mean, it's terrible food. It's shit food. Yeah, and it's and uh, and there's no time, and so the so the result is these kids. It takes them most of lunch to get through the line. They have five minutes. 10 minutes maybe to eat it mm-hmm. most which not enough time for a child to eat um and so they don't they don't so most of the food ends up getting thrown away and the kids are hungry yeah for the you know and my kid eats at ten forty-five in the morning in what? order to in order to, in order to handle all these people though they can't handle this one guy couldn't handle everybody at once yeah and so they go through in like 30 30 or 50 student like two classes at a time eating so it's from ten forty-five in the morning so, until. So are you o'clock. gonna are you gonna are you gonna send him send him with lunch from home? Oh, well, we usually do. Yeah, we usually do. Uh, but then he still is still the 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 the, the consequence of time still affects him. Yeah. You know, even though it's not taking him that much time to, to go through the line, he's still caught in this 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 brief period of time. He still so has I've, to get I've, in the I've, line. So I've, so I've gone over there. I've gone in there to help help students punch in their numbers. So I'm, I'm 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 in there standing at the at the end of the lunch line helping kindergartners and first graders punch in their codes into the keypad that they have to do in order to for their lunch. Uh, they don't all know their numbers. No, punch things into keypads. Um, so hopefully that moves things along pretty a little bit. But but all I'm doing I'm thinking oh this is this doesn't this is not this is not working. Uh, but the people at the school don't have any power over it. Sure. Because the resources aren't there. And I'm thinking that, that Betsy DeVos would look at this and just be delighted. Mm-hmm. She'd say, burn it all She'd down. Do it. It's not working. Yeah. yeah. The president would look at it and say, you people are suffering because you're not mega rich. And it's not a poor school, you know. And that's the thing. This is this is like a middle school. Like, I mean, a middle middle of the... 
it's it's a it's a well-run school. It's not a it's not a wealthy neighborhood. It's not a poor neighborhood. Yeah, you know. Um. Anyway, so I'm gonna start working in volunteering in the library a couple of days a week because I have a couple of days. Oh, nice. In the library. What are you gonna do there? Whatever they need done. You're gonna so. sit in the tiny chairs and uh... those fucking tiny chairs. <laughs> um. Oh, you know. Shelving, alphabetizing. Boy, she, well, the librarian said that a lot of her time is spent uh, realphabetizing the sports section. <laughs> sports and animals are always a uh, uh, shambles. <laughs> when you were talking about the lunch line, I suddenly had uh, intense uh, sense memory of my fifth grade school lunches. First of all, the feeling of arriving at a new school. I went, you know, the I was in my neighborhood um, school that I could walk to until fourth grade, mm-hmm. and then um, starting in fifth grade, I would be bused to the larger school and um, the middle school, uh, which was fifth through eighth grade, um, out in the on the boondocks in the neighboring town, and uh, I liked it very much. It was already at the time. It was there was an there was an annex that had been built as a temporary structure, and that just became a permanent structure. Sure. Um, right. And uh, and later, uh, I when I was in high school, I would have a summer job cleaning, <laughs> cleaning the very um, cleaning the very annex that that uh, uh, that I'd gone to gone to mm-hmm. elementary school in. They had these. Uh, there were these long forced air heating units along the side of the room by the windows. And I re- remember um, leaning against it in the feel of the, the sort of sl- slats, you know, the, um, the grate, uh, that, warm slats. Yeah. The warm, warm, warm grate, the warm slats there mm-hmm. and uh, peering out outdoors. And uh, when the partial eclipse happened, was it the early eighties, mm-hmm. I guess the partial mm-hmm. solar eclipse and the, the, the light dimmed, and it was spooky. I don't know why we didn't go outside. I guess they wanted us to protect our eyes. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I would make we would make these little you know we get those uh, erasers, um, the the you know the long rectangular ones with the slanted slanted ends, and uh, we would um, make them speedy by pushing paper clips, not paper clips, uh, staples. We get staples and we'd press them in there to form a smooth racing surface and oh, then nice. we would nice. put put a couple in lengthwise but not all the way in to form like um uh like um a sled yeah like a sled sled rail rail mm-hmm. yeah whatever they're called the blades you know the sled mm-hmm. and we would race them along the slats of the of the heater um but that's not even the sense memory i just led myself there the sense memory i was talking about was the flavor of the hamburger and french fries and the and the flavor and texture of the lunchroom hamburger and french fries and the flavor and texture of the pizza which was available on Fridays and the these were identical they tasted the same as one another and they um they uh, they appeared and smelled and tasted and felt in the mouth they had the same mouth feel as each other the pizza mm-hmm. and the hamburgers and the french fries yeah, yeah. We had 
<clears throat> no fewer than eight people making and serving our meals at Potwood Elementary School, which sure. is a school of smaller than than the one that this kid's going to. Pizza was rectangular. There seemed to be a lot of peas. I don't think I ever ate any of them. It was not a certain. I'm not comparing Oscar's experience to a golden age that I experienced. Oh no. Yeah. There was. There hasn't been one, has there? No. Of school lunches. Of public school in general. I'm not proud. No. No. I mean, this is one of the tips I got in with my dad. He was saying that you know the schools that he went to in the 30s and 40s in Topeka were good. And they were good for him, but they were also famously segregated. Uh-huh. It's like, yes, you had a you had a good experience, but that, that the school system as a whole, Dad, was not. <laughs> you know, does not. <laughs> was not the same experience you were having. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute! Is your father the Hamburglar? Um. He makes some Hamburglar <laughs> gurgles. As do all men over 50. You know? <laughs> all men over 50 are the Hamburglar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We're close. Mm, I know. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we issued a uniform? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I've been wearing this uniform for a while. It's a flat shirt. <laughs> Tan pants. <laughs> I got the uniform early. I got the body early. <laughs> so my birthday is Tuesday. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out, uh, we get to go to dinner. Yeah, my great. Watch the, watch the kid. Okay. I'm trying to figure out where to go. All the places that I really want to go don't take reservations. And so I'm facing, just trying, trying to figure out where to go um, that we don't spend our all of our very precious babysitting time standing in line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Usually I, I, like, uh, I like a steak for my birthday. I don't want a steak this year. No? I want. Oh, maybe I want scallops. No, all this this talk of scallops. Maybe I'll go to a reliable, reliable neighborhood seafooder. Sure. Good. Do is there one that springs to mind? Springs to mind would be a good name for such a restaurant. <laughs> no, Spriggs. Spriggs, Spriggs to mind. It has to, to be mind. a terrible That's pun a involving terrible vegetarian restaurant. Yeah, Spriggs to mind. A health food restaurant. Spriggs to mind. <laughs> It must exist. Can you look real quick and see? All right, hold on. If, if, uh, All right, hold on. Let me let me look. Oh, I hope it's real. Where Spriggs in uh, to mind? In what college town Spriggs to Mind is located? Okay, hold on. It is Spriggs to Mind dress, forty five dollars. Mm, um, it looks like a sort of pretty green dress. Um, you know what? Almost every, just about every instance of this phrase on the internet is a misspelling of springs to mind. 
I'll give you a few examples. Um, when you think of the wealthy elite of the world, what immediately sprigs to mind? <laughs> Next, um, here's an article about uh, Peter Hook, uh, who was angry at New Order um, for playing New Order songs, which Peter Hook thought could not be played without him. Uh, it says... Uh, the rest of New Order are sound and having more fun without you. Spinal tap sprigs to mind for you, mate. And here's a eat to get slimmer sprigs to mind. Organized crime against humanity and future generations is a term that sprigs to mind. That's never sprug to my mind. Uh, first thing that sprigs to mind is Night Force by Power Glove. <laughs> the phrase that sprigs to mind is I have been to hell and back and I am still on the journey back. A red hot poker sprigs to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my my search led me and I'm not sure why because I can't actually find the the uh, um, the misspelling but it's a, a lot of hits for Canberra's most haunted spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Australia. Is that Australia or New Zealand? Tasmania? It's Canberra. Oh, Canberra. Um I think it's Is that Tasmania? Uh, let's see. I think it's Australia, isn't it? The capital city of Australia. Australia's largest inland city. Check out some of these well known Canberra haunts. Blundell's Cottage, Duntroon House, the Australian War Memorial. According to Canberra local Tim the Yowie Man, <laughs> the War Memorial is regularly subjected to a good nighttime wrecking thanks to a resident <laughs> poltergeist. Tim the Yowie Man. <laughs> National Film and Sound Archives, once a morgue, the National Film and Sound Archives is heaving with paranormal activity. It's Age-old hallways were once lined with hundreds of schools. Today, it has at least three known ghosts playing havoc in many of its darkened rooms. The Karajarong Hotel. At night, the Karajarong may result in a terrific sleep. Or if the late Ben Chiefley is up to his usual antics, you may not sleep at all. Australia's 16th Prime Minister governed the country from room 214 during the 1940s and unexpectedly died. From a heart attack on this top room floor, staff and visitor claim to this day that Chiefley's ghost appears as the grey-suited man pointing towards old Parliament House. Uh, I'm reading it, I'm reading the bi- the bio of Tim the Yowie Man. Yeah, <laughs> it says yeah. uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's um, he's Australia's number one crypto naturalist, and uh, <laughs> it says Tim has an extraordinary enthusiasm for all things spooky. <laughs> we can't af- we can't afford Australia's number one paranormal enthusiasts not with our public school budget we can't give us the number four (laughs) he was a a former acolyte of tim the yowie man (laughs) he's he's pretty good Uh, tim can often be found snooping around in the museum's galleries 
I've got to I've got to go here in a minute, but I do want to tell you about the air disaster memorial in Canberra. <laughs> okay. It's been Please. 75 years since a Lockheed Hudson bomber crashed into a hill between Canberra Airport and Quebian, killing 10. For many years now, the crash site has sparked tales of distressing apparitions. There's the teenager who left the surrounding forest, screaming that she was being followed by an airman on fire. And many folk have heard dull explosions <laughs> and the noise of a crashing plane. Explosions? That's questionable, but planes? Yes. It's worth remembering that the site isn't that far away from the runways of Canberra's airport. Very good. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm going to dream of Canberra. And dull explosions. Close my eyes and think of Canberra. <laughs> um, well, before you go, do, where, so where are you going to where are you going to eat? Happy uh, pre- uh, preemptive happy birthday, by the way. It's on thank my calendar. I'm I was planning on I was planning on contacting you on that day to okay. tell you happy birthday. Thank you very much. I'll be twelve. <laughs> Obtaining my twelfth birthday. <laughs> uh, I think that we will go to the screen door and just stand in line. Okay. Fried chicken. Very good fried chicken. I kind of want some fried chicken. Yeah, that sounds have good. A good, good gumbo. I think we're out of the screen door. Screen door okay. is solid. Oh, there's a news. My friend Matty tells me of a new Slovenian place. Ooh. That's a, that's a very good. And I'm intrigued. Might go there. Wow. The, um, the webpage of the screen door has a huge photo of what looks like uh, jars of uh, pickled okra. That's actually just the background image of any Portland website that you open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. is it municipal law? Uh, it's municipal law. Yeah. yeah, that's what Carrie Brownstein explained to me when we recently spoke. Oh, why did you speak to Carrie Brownstein? Well, we were at the same coffee shop. <laughs> you were in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and I assume it was a sunny day. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it to the coffee shop. It was a sunny day. It was their second to the last day of filming Portlandia ever. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and I was with a, f- a friend who is a friend of hers, and we got to talk to her for a little bit. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It's funny you'd mention her, because just yesterday I was watching a bunch of uh, old um, uh, Slater-Kinney uh, videos and interviews with the band and so on. And there was a recent one where <laughs> the reporters are just like, they don't, the reporter does not understand what rock music is. And mm-hmm. um, they, every time a sort of common rock and roll term comes up, it sort of trips off their tongue so incredibly awkwardly. It's really, really quite delightful. For example? Indie, indie rock. Indie rock. It, Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, have a good week. Have a good, enjoy the, the teaching when it starts. Um, enjoy the, the, um, the dawn of kindergarten with all its attendant frustrations and pleasures. And uh, I'll uh, talk to you, not next week, um, because uh, it's Stephanie's birthday, and because she's a semi-observant Jew, we're going to fast on Yum Kipper together, 
which oh, is sorry. very alarming to me. I've never fasted for any reason. I've never hesitated to indulge in any pleasure for any reason ever. Mm-hmm. And doing, uh, putting nothing in my body for 24 hours is going to be a grand new adventure for me. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll report. It's the opposite of lunch. Yeah. It's lunchlessness. I'll, I'll, remind rep- you I'll report my, back my friend, in a few weeks. My friend Andy decided to observe Ramadan with her partner, who is yeah. Muslim. Um, and then she was uh, 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 like fainting. Um, <laughs> uh, her partner said, you know, um, this is all very nice, but you know, you're, you're not actually Muslim. So <laughs> we, we, I do appreciate the gesture, but go have a sandwich. Yeah. Because... Um, there's solidarity, and then there's, um, you know, just not ready for this yet. Maybe. Yeah, I've I've already been given that speech, but uh, yeah. um, but it but it's, it seems like a worthwhile experiment anyway. You can have like a chunky bar in your pocket just in case you <laughs> feel faint. You don't right. have to do any theatrics. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. good. We'll have lots to report on when we meet again. Very good. Yeah. We'll talk about fasting. All right. Have a good one, Eddie. Bye. Bye. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come to lunch. Because it's time for lunch. Box with Eddie and John. That's right, it's time for love.